Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Woodstock, Georgia, it's time for Cherokee Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Welcome to this very special edition of Cherokee Business Radio. It is our House to Home series, and today's episode is brought to you in part by Woodstock Neighbors Magazine, bringing neighbors and business together. For more information, go to Facebook and Instagram at woodstockneighbors.bvm. And if you have a heart for community and you want to grow your small business, please consider joining our Community Impact Movement, the Main Street Warriors program. Go check us out at MainStreetWarriors.org. You guys are in for a real treat this morning. First up on House to Home Radio, please join me in welcoming to the broadcast with Bolst Real Estate, Mr. Tom Hardy. How are you, man? Wonderful. Well, so we're, excited. We're so delighted to have you in the studio. We've been playing this for a long time. I got a ton of questions. I know we're not going to get to them all, but I, I think maybe a great place to start would be if you could articulate for me and our listeners mission, purpose. What, what are you and your team really out there trying to do for folks, man? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the best way to talk about my mission and purpose, honestly, would be to just kind of go back to the beginning of my real estate story because it was kind of formative in how I got here. Like I was telling you personally a little while ago, my wife and I were renters for a very long time. And we had a, this huge problem where we would be renting at a place, rent a house, be there for about two years, three years max. And then the owner would sell the home and we'd get the 60-day notice. And pretty soon we'd be rinse, repeat, doing it again, moving into a new place, making that look really cute. And then soon as we get fully settled in and we feel like we're going to be there a while, same thing would happen. And this ended up happening about three times to us before ultimately we were like, no, we put our foot down and we're like, no, we're buying this place. We're, we love this place. We don't want to go anywhere else. And um, we don't want this to happen to us anymore. So for the first time ever, we got serious about we're going to become homeowners. We're going to do this. So we pulled all our resources, pulled every lever that we had in our disposal and barely locked in and, and were able to close on our home right at the beginning of COVID, like right when first COVID oh, wow. started out. So um, we got lucky, you know, just situationally with how, you know, all that was playing out. The market was going nuts. At the time, the interest rates were very, very low. We were able to lock in at a very low interest rate and get it done. But one thing that we were able to avoid was competition with other people, simply because it was just we got lucky. Just right there during that first week when everything was crazy and, you know, everybody was Clorox wet wiping their groceries and all that, <laughs> we were buying a house. <laughs> the feeling of relief we experienced when uh, we closed that day and got out to the parking lot and we're just, you know, high fives, hugs and, and just that relief that we felt that load off of our shoulders. That was the moment that kind of a light bulb went off for me. I kind of knew that this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do with my life. This is what I want to do with my career is help people get to this point in their life where they can experience this emotion that we're experiencing right here. So that's what guides everything I do is, is that, is helping people. Helping so people. now that you've been at it a while, what yeah. are you finding the most rewarding, man? What's the most fun about it for you? Like I said, that right there. Being there for like, say, first time home buyers in that moment, guiding them through that process and then just the satisfaction of having done a you know, job well done for them and just celebrating with them. One of the biggest days of their life, certainly one of the biggest purchases they're ever going to make in their entire life. And you got to guide them through that. It's a very rewarding, 
awesome experience. Now you had to go get licensed and that kind of, you had to go to school, I suspect, right? Yeah. And you mm-hmm. have to get, uh, you got to get the stamp of approval. What was that experience Absolutely. like? It was, uh, it was good. Very educational. I did an online course. So it was a lot of reading, <laughs> just page after page after page. <laughs> but um, I found it fascinating. And the deeper into that class I got, the more I was, you know, kind of confirming to myself, this is what I want to do because everything was clicking. All the concepts made sense. And ultimately, I'm really big on integrity and treating people, the golden rule, all of those facets. And I very quickly found that the best way to do business in this industry is to abide by those fundamentals. So, you know, as I was going through that class, I was starting to realize this, like, not only are you going to get an opportunity to help people, but you're going to be able to do it on your own terms and you're never going to have to screw anyone over and sleep like a baby at night. So. That's my goal. It's my goal to just operate with integrity, help people, and impact lives. So there's the paperwork, there's the math, there's the legalities. Of, I mean, I'd starve to death in this business. I can tell you that right now. But there's also the relationship building. That like talk through how you learned how to effectively and productively show a house, for instance. I mean, that was all brand new to you too, right? What yeah. have you learned about mm-hmm. showing a home? Oh, tons, tons. When I first started, I was mainly, you know, working with buyers on the buyer side. So that was one of the first kind of crash courses I received out mm. in the field was showing homes and kind of how to do that right and pitfalls to avoid and things you want to focus on. But yeah, showing homes is actually a lot of fun. I really enjoy a good day where I'm just out in the field yeah. showing house after house and all right, where are we going to next? You know, get a big day lined up, seven places to go check out. It's a great experience to kind of get out there in the field with them and kind of deduce down which houses they're going to like. But in terms of actually navigating all that, obviously you want to kind of, you know, coach your buyers up to, you know, abide by certain unspoken or educate them on pitfalls to avoid. You don't want to talk too much about the house when you're in the house. You never know if someone's got like a, you know, security cam or a nest cam. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> like, oh, look, look, honey, so they're showing our home. Let's listen in. <laughs> yeah, good or bad. Because, you know, I mean... <laughs> Obviously, when you get go under contract with a seller, you know, from that point forward, you're operating a good faith and as are they, that everyone is kind of marching mm-hmm. in lockstep towards the closing table. But before that, you're competing with other buyers and you don't necessarily know the seller's full situation and they don't know yours. So talking too much can kind of tip your hand in terms of maybe could possibly weaken your bid or maybe they overhear a conversation and they just simply go, I don't like those people. <laughs> And that can weaken the strength of your bid right there because numbers are one thing and numbers are a big part of this. I mean, these are big, huge transactions, but it would blow your mind how much of this is actually the people element, how much of the business has to do with people. Well, that's really coming to light for me more and more because I had always, I guess, in my mind, framed up real estate as a very transactional business. And I'm beginning to learn... Nothing could be further from the truth. This is an it's very grounded in relationship, isn't it? Absolutely, 100%. Just about every single offer that I've ever submitted and bid that I've won, I could go back and kind of trace back through those conversations I had, say, with the listing agent that laid the groundwork for us ultimately winning the bid. You know, when you think about it in terms of like, house just went on the market, had it on the market for about four or five days. You get a bunch of offers, you're laying them all on the table. And at the end, you know, like maybe all, a lot of these offers are identical even. So really, you know, what's the differentiating factor? 
let's say if you got three offers and they're basically all identical, which offer are you going to pick? Well, you're probably going to pick the offer of the team that you liked the most because yeah. it's not just about liking them. It's about working with them together and collaborating with them to get to the closing tables. So yeah, establishing good rapport with people's extremely important element of it all. Well, that's another unique aspect of your your business, I guess. It's not like other realtors. They're certainly not the enemy, but in, in a lot of respects, they're not like people might envision a, a competitor in other arenas. You guys have to work together a lot. You may be working on another deal next week, and you may be on the other side of a deal. Oh, the, yeah. So mm-hmm. the realtor community is a pretty collaborative group of yeah, folks, isn't it's it? It's a small world, too. <laughs> yeah, and people get everybody. to know you. They get to yeah. know you if you're a good person, or absolutely. So you, yeah, you always want to be putting good out there, making sure you're yeah <laughs> keeping your side of the tracks clean, so to speak. So have you had the benefit of one or more mentors to help you kind of navigate this terrain early on? I have. I've had a few key mentors along the way. Right now, at this at this moment, I'm kind of lone wolf mode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've had some wonderful mentorship through the years that have really helped me develop my game. All right. So let's talk about the work a little bit. Never going to happen in a million years, but just for hypothetically, Holly and I want to sell our house. Uh So we reach out to you. So, you know, Uh I'd say, Holly, we got to talk to Tom, right? So what we, we get together at your office, you come to us and we sit down and have some kind of initial conversation, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the first thing you do. It's also one of the the most important things you're going to do in that process is get together and it's called a listening presentation, but really it's a conversation because, yeah. you know, you've got a lot on your mind about the house that, you know, you want to convey to the realtor. And there's also a lot that you don't know that needs to be, that you need to be kind of caught up on, especially the real estate landscape is always changing. It's constantly changing. Every year they're changing the way the documents are written, mm. certain stipulations that get added or omitted that you basically kind of have to stay up on. So I'm thinking about this Holly and Stone scenario. There's also getting the, a couple like that on the same page, right? Like you ever do a little therapy? <laughs> like you got to get them yeah. on the same page, right? Because she may have different ideas. Yeah. First of all, we both probably don't even know necessarily all the right questions to ask, things we ought to be mm-hmm. considering. So you're educating us. But we got we got to get yeah. them on the same page before we can move forward, right? And like I said, it, it can be an emotional process too for, yeah. for you, the seller. I mean, this is, sure. your, this is your home. You've poured a lot of love into this place and and you want to make sure you're getting everything out of it that you put into it and and then some so it's a you know there's a lot of emotions attached to that with sellers so part of the job is just kind of easing them into it and kind of calming the (laughs) calming the environment so to speak and kind of educating them on what to expect you know it really helped to kind of lay out the process too of like everything that you're gonna have to do to prepare the house before it actually goes live. Oh, and there's look, a lot that goes into that. Yeah, let's dive into that a moment because it, it strikes me as one of those items where I might think because of my lack of knowledge, oh, if we're going to sell the house, we got to fix this or spruce this up. And you might come in and say, well, no, that's not really not going to make much of a difference. Don't put your time and energy and money in that. But that one thing you hadn't thought about, that you got to get that right before we go. Right? There's that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, like just recently I had a closing in the house. There was a medical lift out in front of the house that had to be removed. Mm. This was a $10,000 endeavor. It was basically an elevator out in front of the house, mm-hmm. like a platform lift. Right. But that cost was far offset by the value that the house received by it not being there. So it's just a matter of communicating that in a way where they can get behind that expenditure 
and know that they're doing the right thing to go ahead and right, uh, right. repair the house. Today. So how does day-to-day the whole sales and marketing thing work for a realtor? Like, How do you find the stone and holly that are ready to sell? Are you out there shaking the bushes? Do you run ads? Do you count on, I don't know, people like Zach who are doing, you know, making their yards beautiful and, and knowing that maybe they want to sell or buy or how do you get the new business? You know, that's an amazing question. That's the million dollar question. actually. <laughs> when I first started, I couldn't have answered that properly. And my answer would have probably just been to say, call people, call people, call people. <laughs> but um, that's still kind of the answer. You need to be calling people all the time. You need to be reaching out to people. But um, over time, I slowly realized that it's more about developing relationships with your community, especially mm-hmm. your, your local community, even down to a micro level of your neighborhood, your street, reaching out to your community in, in a more meaningful way than just chatting with people. Like, for example, recently... I've started trying to get creative with how am I going to organically insert myself into my community in a more organic way, in a way that kind of fits with what I'm doing. So I just went and joined a softball team. <laughs> so that's kind of, you <laughs> that's know, an interesting you marketing just kind of strategy. get creative. You, Zach, yeah. you're tall. Maybe you should join a basketball team. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We can all play sports together. <laughs> it kind of worked. I mean, within like two and a half weeks of being on this team, I had, well, these are clients that I'll be working with in the spring, but at the time they were strongly considering just moving right then and there, selling their house and buying another house. So I mm-hmm. almost had business just within two minutes of joining this wow. softball team. So yeah, they call it farming. It sounds like a dirty word, but farming could be anything is how do you cultivate your leads and, mm-hmm. and doing it in a bigger way than just say doing a mailer or sending out a bunch of emails or whatever. This is more like an outreach where you're actually getting to know people and not in a way where you're pushing your services on to them, but more just getting to know them, just becoming friends with people. And then naturally, organically, as time goes on, you are able to talk about what you do. And and in that way, you're able to, in the most organic way possible, garner business. And then other people in the in what I'll call the, the real estate ecosystem, probably, right? All of your home services, your appraisers, your mortgage people, your, your folks that, that work on the on the landscape, all of the, those are good relationships to have. It oh, goes yeah. back to what we said. It's, it's much more of a relationship business when you get down to it than it is yeah. purely transactional, isn't it? Yeah. And past that, you know, as a realtor, you're always trying to provide value to people. So one of the best ways to do that is to have a ton of lawyers in your phone book, ton of lenders, <laughs> ton of landscapers, you know, anyone you can think of that maybe you could refer to someone if they're, you know, in a situation where they need a plumber. Well, hey, I got your guy. Don't go to Google. I, I got your guy. Well, that's incredibly powerful, impactful. I think to be the guy that knows the guy in your community and in, in your world, that's got to be very powerful. I'm going to switch gears on you a minute. I don't know when you'd have time with all the being on the buyer side, the listing side, the doing the marketing, the playing the softball, but I'll ask you anyway, what passions, if any, outside the scope of this work, do you uh, try to pursue? Uh, my listeners know I like to hunt, fish, and travel, right? <laughs> so that's, that's in fact, I'm probably going to hit the woods at, <laughs> after, jealous, after the I'm show. Jealous. But uh, yeah. Wait like, on you to invite me out there. Yeah, I might come just on, go in. Absolutely. But what, what, do, what do you kind of nerd out about when you're not doing real oh, estate, yeah. man? I love it. That's a great question. I'm actually kind of weird. I don't really know anyone else that does my whole thing, but um, I'm, I guess if you boiled it down, I'm just really into fitness. But I guess you could call it unconventional fitness because I don't have a gym membership. In fact, five out of seven days a week, and I do mean like all the time, I skateboard, I longboard. We've got a big neighborhood with a ton of huge, and I do mean huge hills. Do you wear a helmet? 
Absolutely. Good Especially the way I ride. I mean, <laughs> speaking of COVID, I actually picked longboarding up right at the beginning of COVID. It was my COVID hobby. Oh. And first time I stepped foot on, I was terrible and fell off a bunch and couldn't even hardly push. But now I've leveled up my game so much. I'm probably a danger to myself out there as hard as I ride. But we live in Ormwood. Ormwood Avenue runs kind of parallel to the street we live on. It's just a deep bowl. Either side of that road, it's like a mile long road, but either side's like a half mile. It's just all downhill. But um, there's cars on the road. So it's <laughs> it's a weird sport that I wouldn't necessarily try to be like a, a thought leader on or an influencer because I don't want people, you know, <laughs> I don't want some someone's kid hurting themselves and coming back at me. Look what you did to my kid. So it's not necessarily a good social sport. So that's kind of where I started kind of brainstorming about the, you know, how can I use sports and, and mm, reach yeah. outreach to people? So that's kind of where softball came in, but also liked basketball a lot. So go up to Grant Park a lot and just kind of <laughs> play with strangers up there, run full court with people. Oh, fun. But, so um, you mentioned longboard, which mm-hmm. must be very different than the the board I got when I was 12. Yeah. You can't, <laughs> you can't pop a kickflip on it. Or anything. Okay. The wheels are all the way out at the end. So it's more like carving, like you're on a snowboard. It's like you're snowboarding on land, on concrete. It's such a fun question because you learn stuff about people you would never imagine in a, in a million years. That is fun. All right, before That's we wrap, I, I'd love it if we could leave buyers and sellers both, maybe with a handful of pro tips, just some some things to be thinking about, some questions to ask, maybe something they should be reading, doing, not doing. And look, number one tip, gang, if you're on either side of this equation – and you want some input and just want to have a conversation, reach out to Tom, have a conversation. Absolutely. Uh, but let's leave them with a couple of actionable things just to be get their actionable wheels turning. Things. Pro tips, pro tips. Well, I can say I could offer some encouragement to start. 2023, going into the year, it was kind of scary seeing all the news, news articles and kind of the predictions. And, mm-hmm. you know, my YouTube feed was just filling up full of all this doomsday, you know. Right, the, right. The industry is going to collapse. Market's going to crash, and that ended up not happening at all. In fact, the market is actually stronger right now, believe it or not, huh. after this crazy year. So um, just want to offer some encouragement that 2024 looks to be a great year for the market and a bounce-back year and should hold a lot of opportunities for people. So if you've got that itch and you're thinking about doing it, if you're thinking about taking that next step, certainly reach out to me. You can have a dialogue about it. All right. So what's the best way to do that? Uh, you know, Email, LinkedIn, phone number, website, whatever is best for you. Absolutely. You can reach me. Phone number is 404-973-7509. And you can call or shoot me a text. Probably the best way to get, get a hold of me. But you can also send me an email at tomhardy at bolst.homes. That's Tom, T-O-M, Hardy, H-A-R-D-Y, at B-O-L-S-T dot H-O-M-E-S. Nicely done. By the way, gang, you can't see this because we're on radio. He was looking at his business card because he never emails himself or calls himself. So he wanted to make sure he got it right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I have a, got a all kinds tip. of notes over here that I, that I didn't even get to. <laughs> hey, uh, stay with us, man, while we visit with our next guest, yeah? Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right, gang, y'all ready for the headliner? <laughs> Please join me in welcoming to the show with Hannah Outdoor Designs, the man himself, Zach Hannah, how are you, man? Good. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. Glad to do it. We met at Young Professionals of Woodstock. Is that where, where we met? Yeah, that's correct. I don't know why they let me in that crowd. I, uh, <laughs> I'm a little long in the tooth to be part of an organization that starts with Young. But it's, uh, it's, it's a great organization. I love the Circle of Friends coffee shop, and I like hanging out with that gang. But you and I visited very briefly, and I knew right then, right then and there I had to get you on this show and, and learn more about your, about your work. 
talk to us about your about your work, man. What's the, the mission and purpose? Yeah, so uh, my mission, uh, I want to inform uh, the proper industry standards. You know, there's uh, there's some codes and some guidelines that you can follow. You know, in the industry, and uh, a lot of people don't follow them. You know, a lot of people, uh, unfortunately, you know, <laughs> my industry. That. Yeah, there's not really any licenses in the landscaping industry, so it allows uh, a lot of people to so be called uh, landscapers. So you know, just trying to teach people the right way and the proper standards, because you know, it might look pretty when they get done, but two, three, five years down the road, they have uh, a lot of issues, and wish they would have uh, you know hired somebody to do it the right the first time. I'll bet. So recently, I've become more and more enamored, I guess, or at least appreciative of what lighting can do to a home in the evening. I guess it's because of all the Christmas lights and that kind of stuff. But year-round, that's one of those things that can add a a lot of curb appeal and just really make your home look great. But again, you want to do it right. Speak to that a little bit. Outdoor lighting can, uh, you know, add a lot of things to your home. You know, it can add security. It can add, uh, you know, more ambiance and can, uh, you know, make the space feel larger and really create a awesome space, either the front of the house, the back of the house. You can do spotlights, cap lights, you can do path lights. You know, there's multiple different ways you can do uh, outdoor lights to really uh, spruce up your home and make it pop. There's a lot of Bluetooth connections where you can control the app right on your phone. Uh-huh. I mean, there's color changing lights now. I mean, you can change them from red to green to white to all sorts of colors. And it's pretty cool what, how the technology has changed over the years. There's probably some ways to do it wrong, too, right? Like run, <laughs> just oh, running yeah. that 100-foot extension cord. <laughs> Baby, I put up some lights. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of people, too, like the wires, the splicing of the wires, it's the big thing. You know, they don't put the proper wire nuts or the connections, mm. and then things, uh, you know, fade out, and you have issues with corrosion and everything like that. So, you know, the proper techniques and slicing, you know, the wires and making sure they've got the grease fittings and they're waterproof. So huge on that. Well, and there's the design side of things, right, as well. I can see, like, I can appreciate when I see something that just looks marvelous and I can go home and try to recreate it, but that's just not my skill set. I'm, I don't know. I've never even tried it, but I'm sure it's not. Is, is that how a lot of your relationships, is that the early part of your work, sitting down with folks and kind of mapping it out and sharing some options that maybe they haven't even thought of? Yeah, you know, it's a little bit of both. We do uh, 2D and 3D designs for customers, and then we can also do mm. for lights. We can take a picture of the front of the house, the back of the house, existing retaining wall, or a new retaining wall we're building. And before we get finished, we can take a picture, and we show the customer a little rendering of what it's going to look like at night. It's pretty awesome technology, what you can use. I'll bet. So retaining wall, that strikes me as one of those things. If you screw that up and don't do that right, I, I suspect you could screw up everything from your driveway or some area of your property to impacting a neighbor's property and being in trouble with them and the county or the city. or You've probably run into either actual challenges or challenges that you helped avert by doing <laughs> doing it right, huh? Yeah, proper way to build a retaining wall. Just, uh, you know, we can start from there. There's a couple different processes and steps with the retaining wall. You know, the first thing is the permit. Do you need a permit to mm. build, build the wall? Every city and county in uh, Atlanta is different. You know, Woodstock here, Cherokee County, anything four feet and below, you won't need a uh, permit. But some counties like the Kickery Flat or uh, Holly Springs, I believe, it's, uh, I think, two and a half feet, you need to pull a permit. You know, down in the city of Atlanta, same thing around there. Fulton, Forsyth County, those are all different. Some are, you know, six feet and below. So you just got to really do your homework and double check to see if you need a permit and a survey to build a wall. If you don't, you know, you can get going. 
But, you know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I can build you a wall. And then, you, you know, you look at them and I get a call and can we repair this? And no, unfortunately, it's not uh, repairable. You know, it's got a little sag Ouch. and dip and there's there's corners missing and there's gravel coming out of it or no gravel. So, you know, the, to do the retaining wall right, you really got to get the footer. So the, there's a main process of digging down the ground. So you dig down the ground, find mm-hmm. solid ground. And then from there, you bring in uh, what's called 57 stone. And then 57 stone is the base gravel that you use for the bottom. And then that is about uh, two foot wide by uh, 10 to 12 inches deep. And then that gets compacted. And then from there, you build your blocks. I like to call them Legos for customers. You know, you take the Lego and you build one Lego completely in the ground. You take one of the modular blocks and you put them completely under the ground and that's your footer base. And then from there, you keep building up and up and up. Now, the process after that, they are uh, depending on the block, but typically they have holes in the block. And then from there, you fill that with 57 stone. And then you keep going. You They have a lip typically behind them, and that lip is what interlocks them. Some have pins. Some have – there's all sorts of different types. But typically, it's just like a little lip, and you put that lip on the back, and you just keep stacking, stacking. And that gets filled with 57 stone and then behind it. So you have a drainage system, either a corrugated or solid pipe behind the retaining wall. And then from there – you'll have what's called a weep hole. So about every 30 to 50 feet, you'll have a weep hole in the retaining wall. That allows water that gets behind the wall to penetrate on the outside of the wall. So you have the pipe behind the wall. That's usually on your second course of, you know, your Legos, your modular block. And then if the wall's over three foot tall, you have a system called GeoGrid. That's a synthetic fiber that holds the ground and gravel in place. And that gets rolled back into the hillside. So if the wall's three feet, you don't have to do it, but anything above three feet. So you see, got a four foot wall. You're going to dig back about four feet back into the earth oh, wow. and roll that geogrid back four feet. So the first foot back is going to be completely full of gravel. So your little trench behind your retaining wall is all going to be gravel. And then from there, it's going to be compacted, clean fill dirt. You're going to take a machine and compact that. And then that's going to get on top of your geogrid. And then once you're done, you have a nice little cap that's glued on. And you're rocking and rolling, but a lot of people don't do it right. And I get called every day to come take a look at a wall, see if it's repairable. <laughs> Tom, do you get the idea that uh, he's done say, this we before? Get, we got a wall for you. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we got a little corner house, and half our walls are just like they need a V8, you know, right, like right, degrees off off the side of. It. This conversation reminds me of a billboard I saw a couple of years ago. It was, we fix $2,000 nose jobs. <laughs> I thought that was a brilliant, a brilliant ad. All right, I got to know the backstory, man. How in the world did you find yourself in this, in this line of work? Yeah, so I was in college and uh, I was working on a golf course. I just started working in a golf course industry and built my way up for there. Moved down to Georgia to take a golf course job. Done a little bit of uh, everything in industry. I've done uh, commercial builds. The Bucky's up there in Calhoun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I was a project manager estimator for another company before I started my own company. I've done commercial irrigation, done uh, residential design build, and I also have experience in residential and commercial maintenance. So chemicals to pine straw to pruning to, you know, seasonal color, a little bit of everything. And then, uh, you know, decided it was just time to, you know, make my own destiny and let's start my own big gig. And uh, here I am. So were there some surprises early on when you went out on your own? Did some things like, man, I never anticipated that or? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, you'd like, oh, well, I thought I could do this right. Or, you know, the business side of things like the, you know, the taxes and the business license and everything like that. So, you know, it's been a learning curve, but it all falls back on me. If I don't do something right, 
which falls right. back to me and my uh, business partner. So it's a good learning curve. So talk to me about grass, man. Of, of all the things I don't know, and it's a pretty big list, I don't know the first thing about grass, but I have admired different kinds of grass on different lawns. Do you, do you get into that at all? Oh, yeah. So there's uh, okay. th- three main types of grass in Georgia. Bermuda, your main grass. 85% of the lawns in uh, Georgia here have uh, Bermuda. Great grass, great for sun, doesn't love shade. So if you have some shady issues, Bermuda does not love the shade at all. Mm. It'll get choked out and it'll start dying away and dying away and dying away. Great grass, you can make it look good, fertilize it, you know, put some chemicals on it in the springtime for pre-emergent and in the fall. And, you know, other than that, it's a pretty hardy grass. You know, you might have to water it, you know, if you've got a newly established lawn. But other than that, people's homes, you don't really have to water Bermuda too much unless we get a really, really crazy drought. The next one is Zorgia. There's a laundry list of different uh, Zorgias in uh, Georgia, but I would say my favorite is Zian Zorgia. It looks like a nice golf course grass. You can cut that down. People like to uh, real mow that too, and you can get some nice stripes in it. That's my, you know, my favorite thing. How about. do you do that? I've seen that, you know, like on the baseball diamonds. How do they? How do you do that? So it's just a directional pattern. So if you uh, if you see the white line, yeah. that means you're following the mower downwards. Now the green line means they're coming backwards. So it's just a directional pattern in the grass. So huh. it's just you know go down, turn around, and go back forth. So that's how they just do it, back and forth. It looks you know, so cool. They do the crisscross. Checkers. I mean, you can you can cut any type of pattern you really want in that. But uh, you know, it's awesome what you can do. Zianzorgia. It needs four to six hours of sunlight to really thrive. So that one's a lot more shade tolerant grass in the, in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's my favorite. If you can afford it, it's it's awesome. Everybody's got budget, so you know we can do what you we can. And then the other one would be uh, fescue. You know, nice thick grass, but it's more temperamental. Great for shade, but you got to airify it. You got to overseed it in the fall, and it needs a lot of fungicide treatments because you're watering it a lot in the summer because hot heat in Georgia, it doesn't love the heat, but mm. it's great for shade. So those are your three main grasses down here in uh, in Georgia. So the answer to my question is yes, he does know a thing or two about grass as well. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I'll ask you the same question I asked Tom. How do you get the new business, man? Are you, I, I guess you're, you're obviously out networking a little bit and building those relationships. Do you advertise yeah how do you get the new business yeah a lot of mine is uh you know networking love to go in networking events meeting new people and you know building those relationships those are key your different uh, business partners that'll throw your name out there and people are looking for different services and you know another thing as well referrals building that google rapport up and mm. reviews and people refer you and refer you and pass on to your neighbor and their friends and everything like that. So, you know, referrals are huge. And then, uh, you know, this year I'm going to, you know, start the marketing campaign. You know, I do a lot of my own social media and everything like that. And just, you know, hiring a firm to, you know, take that responsibility off of us. Cause it's a, it's a lot to deal with when you're running a business. If I can deal with one last thing, that'd be uh, awesome. That. Sounds to me like if you chose to, you could do a whole educational series and just let people know some of the stuff that you've been sharing with us today. And I don't know, I'm from the training and consulting world, so I know it's very different. But even though you share that kind of information with them, most of us are going to be like, I'm glad I know that. And now I know just enough to know I need to call Zach. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what I've been trying to do. You know, on the the Facebook Cherokee Connect, I've been trying to you know just inform the customers what the proper way to really do yeah. some of these processes, either the retaining wall, patio, artificial turf, planting a tree. There's a lot of things you can do the right and wrong way, and it's just you know showing the customer like, hey, this is what 
supposed to be, I just want to give my information to you because you deserve to know if you're getting your property installed the correct way. Mm-hmm. Well, like for me, if I were going to do a, a patio, and, and I mean, my, my side yard and my little house is like the width of this studio, but still I have this vision of almost like an outdoor kitchen, but I want to get it done right. I want, I want the water out there right. I want the gas line to be hit right. And I've got, I guess, what is essentially a retaining wall. But before I do very much, I need to talk to you, right? And you would come out and say, okay, Stone, have you thought about this? And yeah, you don't want to do that <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah, we'd uh, you know, lay it out and discuss you know, what, what are your priorities? What, you know, what kind mm-hmm. of uh, outlets do you want? What kind of grill do you want? What kind of utensils do you need? Do you need drawers? Do you need a sink? Do you need a refrigerator? Everything like that for outdoor kitchen. Some people want pizza ovens. Some people want a smoker. Some people want the propane. And like you said, the, you know, the water and the electric and everything like that done by, uh, you know, one of our uh, certified vendors and then come out there and knock that out for you. But yeah, you know, it's just right planning. And what do you want? Making a list of what are my necessities and what are my wish lists? Because you can always get rid of your wish list, but you always have to have, you know, at least three necessities you have for that uh, outdoor right, kitchen. Right, right. And you got to think all that through instead of just, you know, hopping in a truck and running over to Home Depot and getting a bunch of paper. <laughs> That's not the right move, is it? No, there's a you know, right and wrong way to do everything, you know. Yeah. Outdoor kitchens and, uh, you know, pavers, they're very popular items these days. Well, there goes my Home Depot sponsorship. But you know what? <laughs> we're doing this for He's the tried. community. We're, try- we're, we're trying to help them out. So do you longboard? What, like, what do you do when you're not doing this? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I love the outdoors. Obviously, you know, I work, yeah. work in it, but I enjoy hiking, mountain biking, kayaking, and uh, camping, anything outdoors I just love. So suits me well to work outside and transform people's yards. So I love it. Yeah. So people like realtors and other home services that you mentioned, preferred vendors or certified vendors, these are all people, you two are not unlike what we were talking about with, with Tom. You're the guy that knows the guy. And if we're working with you, we know you're going to get the right electrician out there, the right plumber, the right, you're, you're that guy too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have worked with other vendors that help us out in our projects, you know, the electricians, the plumbers, Everything like that, you know, make sure they're certified and get the right licenses to, to help you out. Yeah. So where can folks get in touch with you, man? What's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, so uh, you can reach me uh, either my cell phone, email address, or my website. So my uh, cell phone is 734-474-7573. Our email address is Designs with an S at the end at gmail.com. And then the website is hannahoutdoordesigns.com. Tom, he did all that without looking at his business card. There's something for you to aspire to. Oh, I, I just didn't want to get tongue-tied. No, you did it right. Well, Zach, thanks for joining us, man. This has been a lot of fun, guys. And I hope you'll come back. And I think what might be fun is you know, both of you have mentioned how you collaborate with other people in this space. I think it might be fun to do kind of a roundtable, bring them in. We'll spotlight their business as well. But I think what might be really interesting and great programming for us, candidly, is to learn more about those relationships and how you choose to to work together in service of the customer. If you guys are up for that, we'll try to organize something like that. Yeah, definitely. That'd be Absolutely. awesome. Fantastic. All right. Until next time, this is Stone Payton for our guest today, Zach Hanna with Hanna Outdoor Designs and Tom Hardy with Bolst Real Estate and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you again on House to Home Radio.